Traditionally, this Sunday in the church calendar is referred to as Low Sunday. It has, I think, two origins among uh, our Anglican friends. The first is this, that anything after Easter would almost seem to be an anticlimax. That's one reason. But the other reason was that because the clergy were so busy over Easter taking various services, they had this Sunday off. And I thought if the, the clergy wanted a church, it would be a high Sunday, not a low one. However, uh, our opening hymn takes up the word low, but low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Saviour. It begins slow, but it has a great momentum as it builds to a great crescendo. Up from the grave he arose. We're going to sing this, please stand. How we're going to pray together. I notice the balcony now is not just full, but really jam, jam full. So anybody else who comes, Peter, bring them in here. Thank you. That's good. We're going to pray together. Let's do that. Lord, we come to you today with thanksgiving on our hearts and praise on our lips for your goodness to us since we last met like this. And we thank you for that reassuring theme that you are the resurrection and the life. And today, whatever our circumstances, good or ill, joy or sorrow, we come to you and we worship you. And we want to do that in spirit and in truth. Lord, we reflect that when the powers of darkness had done their work, crucifying the Lord Jesus and burying him in death. You raised him to life again. And that hymn that we have sung resonates in our hearts that you are alive forevermore and you have defeated death. And one day we will understand as now it's a great mystery to us. Give us faith for the journey Give us light for the darkness. Give us hope for the future. And give us joy in our hearts and a, a resilience to press on with you. Lord, we thank you for your countless blessings. Lord Jesus, we rejoice that you are with us at this very moment. Holy Spirit, you are always giving life to your children giving new birth. We ask that some facet of this service would remould us into the image of Jesus and fill us with his love and enable us by his risen power that we might be faithful in our homes, in our schools, in our communities and indeed in our church. And a moment just of confession. God of life, forgive our frequent denial of life, our destruction of its hopes, our denial of its needs, distorting its possibilities. Help us to see again the bounty of the life that we have in Jesus. So today would you fill us with your spirit of life, that we might be people of life, the life of Jesus in a needy world.
come to us and meet us as we come afresh in worship and praise and prayer with thanksgiving. For Jesus' sake. Amen. This morning's reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, starting to read at verse 15. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. We're looking at this post-resurrection uh, encounter. And uh, this is, if you like, a sort of um, uh, epilogue. And for your assurance, an epilogue is a short message, which is what we, what we have here. We're going to eavesdrop on a conversation between... Jesus and Peter and that's the reading that we have Valerie just read that to us and I want to make a few points and comments and see what it has to say to us 
The one key verse, however, in the reading you will find John 21 and there's the question that Peter asks with eavesdropping into the conversation verse 21 when Peter saw John he asked Lord what about him? and Jesus answered verse 22 if I want him to remain alive until I return what is that to you? you must follow me and that word follow me comes three times in this very brief uh, conversation I want us to look at this section and think of a couple of things that we can learn practically this morning first of all about loving and serving the danger sometimes is that our service is grudging and unloving doing saying the right things but lacking in love and so you find in John 21 verse 17 the third time he said to him Simon son of John do you love me? is this mere vain repetition or is there a problem here? loving and saying do you love me? in Peter's mind at that time he felt that he was a failure he was washed out he felt like the driftwood that would have festooned the beach which they would have made fire with he felt he was useless that's the context and yet Jesus comes to him and poses this question and here's the, the subtext to this loving and serving and it's this that past failures can be forgiven in love not because we deserve it not because we get our act together but simply because that's what Jesus is like past failure can be forgiven in love and therefore loving and serving has a greater edge the second thing that comes out of this in the next few verses this discussion is living and dying perhaps not a, a theme that we are altogether comfortable with living and dying John 21 read on in verse um, 18 I, and here's an interesting reminder particularly those of you who have had elderly parents or you, 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 you work with folk who are needy I tell you the truth when you were younger you dressed yourself did what you wanted to do in other words you went where you wanted you were independent but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you don't want to go I couldn't help but think about what it is to have a member of family Alzheimer's classic uh, fitting there perfectly doesn't it but that's not the issue here it is and it's to do the historians would say this is Peter going out to give his life in crucifixion because of his uh, dangerous allegiance to Jesus Christ living and dying so if the first point is this as a subtext if you like that past failures can be forgiven so when we think about living and dying and the difficulty the, the frailty of life if you like or uh, illness that, uh, of which there is no cure 
present lifestyle is no guarantee of the same future. We may be sufficiently independent now and financially secure and health is good but which of us would want to say that the things that we see happen to other people may not happen to us? Even though we're young and independent and do our own thing, living and dying, present lifestyle is no guarantee of the same future. And then we read on into this little discussion between Jesus and Peter. The third thing is lingering and following. He's sort of holding back but following. He'd already been doing this. It was a sort of a habit. Uh, he goes into automatic mode, if you like. He was following Jesus at a distance when he denied him. And now he's holding back. And look in, the, in these verses, verse 19, for instance, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death for which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, your big task now is this. Follow me. Where you are, follow me. All these issues, all this business is going on, follow me. And read verse 22, Jesus, and well he then, Peter turned and saw, saw the disciples whom Jesus loved following him. And he starts to say, well, you know, um, what about him? What's going on in his life? What's she up to? We're all good at that, aren't we? And Jesus is almost abrasive at this point. He says, if, if in our language it would be, I think you should mind your own business. No, if you were to say that to somebody whom you know, test the friendship, test the genuineness of their concern and inquiry. Jesus says in, in the NID, he says, what's that got to do with you? Follow me. I said it three times, I'm saying again, you get your act together, you follow me. Don't worry about them. And here's a third subtext to these headings, lingering and following. In verse 22 you have it there, personal obedience is an individual matter. You must follow me. You may be disillusioned with uh, church leaders. You may know of a Christian who took the moral high ground and is a contradiction of that. What a field day you'd have. You might say, you know, I'm not very spiritual, but, and finish the sentence, and feel the better for it. But Jesus says, you follow me. You follow me. Personal obedience is an individual matter. And that's why we used our prayer when we were talking to the, to, to the children, the young people. Here's something for us to think about further as we continue with this epilogue. When we start living our lives by comparisons, it's what we used to call years ago, either keeping up with the Joneses or comparing ourselves, it leads to confusion. When Jesus asks Peter, what is that to you, in verse 22, he is trying yet again to teach the disciple this valuable lesson. God doesn't work like that. Peter, you're wired up the wrong way. I don't work like that. 
he doesn't deal with us on a comparison basis but on an individual basis we are all different we are all different and part of our difference is the uniqueness of the grace of God I mean when you think about some people their family upbringing their background and when you compare progress with uh, somebody like that with someone who's been cradled in the faith who's had loving Christian parents and has been prayed for uh, from birth and some of us have had that privilege though we didn't see it at the time you're not comparing like with like I think of people's lifestyle people who've got involved in subcultures and have left a legacy comparative discipleship is very unhelpful so what's the answer? the answer is this yes, we're all different yes, some are bigger issues than others yes, they may be unresolved throughout their lives follow me you leave them to me you, you, yes you, yes follow me, follow me you follow me and stop making these unhelpful comparisons So Peter has to learn these three lessons early in the morning in Galilee on the beach barbecue going with regard to the past he learned not to quit don't give in don't give up so easy to do that don't quit Oh, we could have a field day with his past and with some of ours too don't quit or if you like don't settle for the easy option just follow Jesus follow Jesus the second lesson he learned is this that with regard to the future he stopped making predictions what about this? What about that? What if this happens? What if that doesn't? We live our lives like that. The whole industry, pensions, insurance and liabilities are all geared on what if. But with regard to the past, we don't quit. With regard to the future, we learn not to predict. What are we to do? Follow him. Follow me, Jesus said. And with regard to the present, He had to stop this habit of comparing unfavorably. Lord, now my life is all sorted out. I've got it all together. What about him? What about her? It's not like that. It's not like that. Answer? You must follow me. I want us to conclude with seeing Jesus in this uncharacteristic way. Yes, he was like it from time to time, but particularly here, when we think about this confrontation of Jesus. I just want to give three concluding um, headings, and then I wanted to ask Paul a question for us to have a, as a discussion, but I don't think we've got uh, time this morning. So, confrontation one, the confrontation of Christ in verse 22. This is now at the center of this conversation 
What is that to you? What's that got to do with you? The context we've got it's as if Jesus would say to Peter with this eyeball encounter to interface with him mind your own business you have enough to do to follow me with all these issues going on in your life hey hold on you follow me there were lots of these um, challenges Let's, we've only got time to look at one for the sake look in Matthew 16 and here is the same loving Jesus Matthew 16 and verse 21 he's predicting his death and don't forget this is the post-resurrection Peter has seen the crucifixion and still somehow he hasn't got it yet it takes a long time for us to understand simply that Jesus loves us unconditionally verse 21 from that time on Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders the chief priests teachers of the law that he must be killed and the third day raised to life Peter took him aside now it's quite deep takes him by the arm can you imagine doing that to Jesus hold on a minute yanking him back right and began to rebuke him this is the role reverser this is the disciples telling the Lord how to do things you can't do that he's doing it and he says, quote, this shall never happen to you, taking the moral high ground, the bravado thing. Now, this took the wind out of Peter's sails, didn't it? Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men my way of doing things are not your way of doing things follow me follow me think how many times in this experience of discipleship this happens but the thing for us because we are doing it perhaps with each other from time to time is not so much that we if we are involved in this how would we confront if you're enjoying it it's wrong I have to confess to you, all my life I have disliked intensely confrontation, almost to the point that it could be a weakness. But you know, if I was ever to enjoy confrontation, if I enjoyed inflicting discipline, I'm clearly in the wrong, whatever. So how do you confront? Well, you need to be sure of your facts. Don't speculate. So easy for us to, to be prejudicial about certain people, their backgrounds their experiences and all that sort of stuff be sure don't speculate and if you're in doubt don't just wait if we have to be involved in sharing or speaking to one another in meaningful relationships first of all we're to be sure and the second we are to be specific don't go on a witch hunt don't waffle be specific and thirdly be sufficiently sensitive strong but sensitive whenever somebody says to me now I want to say something to you in love I always brace myself because they don't well not from my experience anyway but if we do confront in love we have gained a brother we have, we have gained a sister rather than simply feeling that we are superior 
But in this confrontation there's also the question. It's good to ask questions, isn't it? In verse 22 you have it again. This comparing ourselves with others is often fertile soil for the devil to do his work of discontent, the weeds of bitterness. We're ill at ease, we defend our prejudices, we dig in. And Jesus would say to us, or perhaps the Spirit would say to us, what's that really got to do with you? Why do you have such a dislike to that person? You must follow me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the one who goes before. And lastly, there's the challenge of Christ in, in verse 22. And it's like the same thing, isn't it? Yes, I know, life is tough. But you must follow me. Wherever, wherever God places us, if it's, if it's in Afghanistan, or if it's in Tame, or on Kremlin, or Aylesbury, or Oxford, anywhere, or whether we're in the hospital, or whether we're on a building site, or whether we're at home, or we're in the classroom, we have to follow Jesus. Follow me. And we must realize that the Lord who confronts us is the same Lord who affirms us. He isn't doing it to put us down. He's doing it to build us up. And three times Jesus asks Peter, Do you love me? Now it would be interesting if we were to take time to say, More than this, what are these? Well, you know, all the things that... What is our ultimate concern? What are the things we value most? Do you love me more than these? And for each denial, there is the question or the challenge. Will you follow me and that is this post-resurrection encounter I want us to close and I would like to pose a question if you stay with this verse 22 and consider this confrontation of Jesus it will come up before you if you were to read um, Philippians 2 and here's the thing now uh, can we bring that up Betty? Um, that um, uh, comparing verses in the Bible can be tricky. There you are, it's coming in front of you in Philippians 2, 1 to 4. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it means this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort in his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Here's the challenge. Does this contradict everything I've said? Right? I've read, we've read that. Each of you as part of your loving discipleship, being like-minded, being Christ-like, each of you should look not only on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. Now, is Peter doing that? And if he is, Jesus has got it wrong. Uh, think about that for a moment. There it is, it's up in front of you. So what's the difference between the two? A healthy concern or unhealthy comparison? Now we need to work that out ourselves. 
Yes, it would be interesting if we, if at time we could go into a couple of groups, couldn't we, and we could make a, a response. I guess there's much less in our society uh, of people um, getting involved. In fact, we don't get involved. It's always complicated when you get involved with people. Best not to. I want to conclude by quoting that remarkable book by Colson, which sold millions of copies, uh, Born Again, Charles Colson. This is what he wrote, and it, it, it summarized something of the cost of discipleship, and yet the peace that it gives. This is what he says. It was that night in the quiet of my room, he was in prison, that I made the total surrender. Lord, if this is what it's all about, I said, then I thank you. I praise you for leaving me in prison, for letting them take away my license to practice law, yes, even for my son being arrested. I praise you for giving me your love through these men for being through these men for being God. He saw God in people, God's providence, just letting me walk with Jesus in prison. And he was learning with all of his baggage and all the downfall of Watergate and the corruption and the injustice. Clearly he was in prison, rightly so. With these words, came the greatest joy of all, the final release, turning it all over to God. And Colson knew that although salvation was a free gift, there was a cost in following Jesus. <coughs> so for Peter, for him, it actually would cost him his life. A small thing to give up, I'm sure, ultimately, he thought, for all that Jesus has given to him. Oh, it takes a long time to arrive at that. But I hope that we take from this post-resurrection experience the challenge. I must keep following Jesus. Whatever's going on in my life, whatever my future, Whatever my legitimate concerns for other people, sure. Follow me. Follow me. I want our final hymn to take up this theme, and it's, it's a prayer, really, by a Quaker, Whittier, who wrote uh, this hymn as a, as a reflection on God's guidance. And he may well have had, I'm not sure whether he would have had this, uh, encounter in this um, hymn. In verse 2 in this hymn, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind, the verse goes like this In simple trust like theirs you heard beside the Syrian sea the gracious calling of the Lord, let us like them without a word rise up and follow thee. Well of course the hymn writer puts it in nice poetic ways but I don't think they did rise up without a word. There was this confrontation, there was this challenge, there was disappointment. Yes, it's never as simple as that. 
and sometimes the hymns can crystallize things very beautifully. And then this third verse, drop thy still dew of quietness. Think of Peter now with all of his strivings and anxieties, cumulated stress, agitated. Drop thy still dew of quietness till all our strivings cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress that our ordered lives can <coughs> the beauty of your peace. How do you know that? Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Let's sing this together. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. And may we share in the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.